Welcome to Cinematicon Ex Mortis, the horror movie discussion podcast with Heather and Kenny. And uh, today we are completing our trilogy of episodes on the Evil Dead franchise with a look at the uh, 2013 film Evil Dead. Plus, as a bonus, we're going to talk about the TV series Ash vs. Evil Dead. So stick around if you're interested in that. So, some basic facts about uh, our film du jour. Uh, it was released in 2013, directed by Fede Alvarez, who also co-wrote the film with Rodo Sayagues. It stars Jane Levy and Shiloh Fernandez and features a musical score by Roque Baños. Although the main creative people this time are newcomers to the series, Sam Raimi, Bruce Campbell, and Rob Tappert produced this remake of 1981's The Evil Dead. So, uh, I'll put out a spoiler warning this time, and because uh, I forgot last time, but uh, I'm remembering right now, and we, I will go into a plot summary of this motion picture. So, in a shocking change of pace for the horror genre, a group of young people make their way to a cabin in the woods. This time, they're not college students on vacation, but have instead convened for a more serious purpose. Mia, a heroin addict, has decided to go cold turkey. Her brother David, his girlfriend Natalie, and friends Olivia and Eric are there for moral support. Unbeknownst to Mia, though, they decide to make her stay against her will if necessary, since the last time she gave up on recovery, she ended up overdosing. Things get weird when the group discovers signs of dark rituals and a book bound in human flesh called the Naturam de Manto in the fruit cellar. When Eric unadvisedly reads aloud passages from the book, an evil force is unleashed and possesses Mia. Other passages in the book prophesy that once the evil has consumed five souls, it will become physically manifest on Earth as the Abomination. Mia's friends will have to do their best to see that that doesn't happen. Okay, so uh, that's my opening spiel. Uh, and this is a movie that I've seen a bunch of times, but Heather had just never seen it. So mm -hmm. I'm interested to know what your first impressions are. What do you think I thought of that movie? That's what I want to know. Well, after we watched it, I think you said it, you liked it. So I'm going to okay. guess that you that did like it. That doesn't count. Okay. Um, I liked it more than I thought I was going to. I guess I was just being really stubborn for a really long time because I wasn't interested in seeing an Evil Dead movie that didn't have Bruce Campbell in it. Mm -hmm. Like, that just doesn't appeal to me at all. He's the reason I like these movies. So I was just like, why would I watch that, you know? But it's, like I told you, I feel like it's different enough that it's, you know, I don't really associate it with that like you could have told like not told me its title and i i would have seen some similarities but i wouldn't have been like offended you mm. know so i liked it it is a lot scarier and it's a lot i can't say more gory but it's more realistically gory so it's you know ugh. yeah it has the benefit of you know 30 more years of mm. development of technology and i guess a a more substantial budget definitely than the original the evil dead mm -hmm. i think it still had a fairly small budget and they did some pretty cool inventive stuff to get the film to look as good as it does um but you know by this point evil dead had become like an established franchise mm -hmm. um 
Yeah, you're right. It's missing Bruce Campbell. It's also missing Sam Raimi. And, yeah. uh, you know, I'm a big Sam Raimi fan. I like pretty much everything he's done. So to not have him directing is another thing that, you know, initially made me uh, worried about the movie. Which Definitely. Yeah, I ended up liking I actually just... Another thing for me going against it was I kind of hate horror remakes in general. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I think by 2013 when this came out the the tide had kind of already crashed on the shores of movie going people of like endless horror remakes but like in the 2000s like around say 2005 it was like there was no original horror movies even being made anymore that's what it seemed like at least like i'm sure that there were still plucky independent filmmakers working away but just every movie that came out it seemed was a remake of some classic horror film from the 70s and 80s to the point that you start thinking like okay eventually they have to run out of films to remake and i guess in our own time they have and so what they're doing is just re-remaking them so now we just had a halloween re-remake uh in the last year and just a few weeks ago a black christmas re-remake came out yeah i saw that so, so uh, that kind of sucks, I think, you know. It's, it definitely it's, does. It's part of a broader Hollywood trend, I guess, of just, like, everything has to be already connected to some pre-existing property or franchise. Otherwise, they won't, you know, allocate the money because they're like, well, how do we know that it'll make money? Because no one's ever heard of the title before, which is stupid. Um, so I was already kind of against it from the start, but it really won me over. Um I think one big thing that is important to me when it comes to remakes is if you try to just do the original again, it's not going to be as good. Mm-hmm. Uh, and even if it is as good, there's already the original, so it's like pointless. Um, so, for instance, a remake that I think does that, that displeased me, and maybe the listeners will disagree, but... There's a cla- there's a great um, Swedish horror movie called Let the Right One In that was remade a few years later uh, as an American film called Let Me In, and Let Me In is like it's a fine film it's not terrible but it's the exact same plot beats in the exact same order everything is like the same, like the Psycho remake, like yeah or like the Psycho remake yeah and it's like even if it comes out okay which I think the Psycho remake kind of didn't. Um, it's like, what was the point of that? You just spent, like, millions and millions of dollars to make a movie that already exists. Why? I don't know. I mean, we had the same conversation in our Psycho ep- episode. Like, mm. why would you make something exactly the same? So why should we remake the same conversation is what you're saying? Well, I, that's not we're what kind I was of, saying. We're kind of doing the same thing that we're <laughs> preaching against here. That's well, a good we're, point. We're not... But my, my point in this case is that Evil Dead does not do that naughty thing that I don't like. Uh, it's It it does what I, I think a, a, a remake should do, which is it takes the basic premise of the original, and then it takes it in a different direction. So another one that I like is the Dawn of the Dead remake from like 2003 or four, uh, that takes the idea of a zombie apocalypse and people are holed up in a mall trying to survive and then, you know, the, the set of characters are a completely different group of characters from the original film, and the things that happen to them are different. But it's just that basic idea of zombies in a mall, 
and then they did a new cool interesting thing with it. So you can enjoy the original and then enjoy the new one and you know, you're, it's not like you're watching the same thing over or like an attempt at imitating the the same thing. Mm-hmm. And I feel like this one kind of does that too. Yeah. It's very different, but it has the spirit of it. So, yeah. What would you say is the the spirit that is like uh, consistent between this and the original film? That is kind of hard to articulate because it's sort of just a <laughs> a vibe. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's the there's no comedy really in it. I didn't I don't think I laughed at anything in this movie. I find it pretty funny. Uh but I I'm a that sick that bastard. Might have been a thing, yeah. I I feel like it's it's a comedy in the same sense that the original is, where certain things just take it so far that it's so gross and horrible that it becomes kind of funny. Uh-huh. Um What part did you think was funny? Um Oh, here's a good one. Here's a good one. Mhm. So at one point, Natalie gets her hand possessed, a la Ash in Evil Dead 2, and she has to cut it off with uh, not a chainsaw, but... It's an electric meat carver. Yeah, an electric meat carver. And, uh, you know, that by itself, I mean, it's, it's a lot more explicit than the original film where we actually see her carving into her own arm and, like, cutting it Yeah, and I made off. myself watch that, too. Hmm. I was like, I'm going to stick it out and, like, not shut my eyes. Sometimes when I, I, you know, I could see that coming and I'm like, I wanted to look away. But I'm like, I'm going to make myself watch it. It was pretty, it was pretty rough. Yeah. And then (laughs) uh, we kind of cut away. And then the next time we cut back to her, the, the other characters discover her. And she's like, I'm okay. And then she turns around and we can see not only is her arm hacked off, it's like oh. still dangling, like there's still like a, a, a sinew that is still uh. connected. So it's kind of like dangling and then it plops off oh onto God. the floor. Like that's that's funny. I don't care who you are. That's that's pretty funny. I don't I didn't find it funny. I found it absolutely <laughs> horrifying. I was like, okay. Like normally I look away from gore and this time I forced myself to look and it was the worst possible scenario. <laughs> The film definitely rewarded that choice. And I was like, okay, next time I decide to do this, I think maybe not. (laughs) Yeah, it was bad. She said something like, I feel better now or something. Yeah. I get the comedy there. I Mm -hmm. get that. The arm dripping off does not fall under that category for me. Yeah. That's just awful. Okay. To me, that was that was definitely a, a laugh moment that okay. I think was intentionally so horrible that it's funny. Did you think the other absolutely atrocious loss of limb scene is funny? Uh, so you're thinking when Mia has to like pull her arm off at the end of the uh-huh. movie to survive. Um, that one wasn't you know, as much of a knee slapper to me. (laughs) Um, It wasn't set up in the same way. But yeah, there's just, there's moments in this, I think that carry 
another aspect of the original, another part of its spirit, I guess you could say, mm-hmm. um, which is like things that you wouldn't want to happen to your body will happen in this movie. Like, yeah. uh, so there's definitely, and that's true in like every incarnation of Evil Dead. Yeah. Um, so like, uh, when and near the end, Mia is like crawling on the other side of a flimsy wall from the, uh, the abomination and it's sh- uh, stabbing through the wall to try to get her and like, you know, missing every time, but it's scary oh. that a knife comes through and, and almost uh, hits gets her. And then there's a few times when it doesn't almost miss her. <laughs> like it, do- it does- It does get her. S- slices into her, but just barely. And uh-huh. the, the, the gross part is that then the knife gets pulled out and it's like, oh. it, you know, it's like uh, cutting her as it's coming. And that's that's another moment where yeah, it's like kind of... it's kinda... like so much worse than if it had just like impaled her. Yeah. It's, it's, like, a, it's like when you get a paper cut. And mm-hmm. like the thought of getting a paper cut is so much cringier than like accidentally stabbing yourself, you know? Yeah, I think that's absolutely Ugh. true. There, uh, it's, you're absolutely right. There's... There's uh, stuff that's more relatable because it's not as bad. Mm-hmm. It's something that um, I've thought about a lot when it comes to horror movies in general. We talked about like the tree rape scene in the original The Evil Dead. Mm-hmm. And this is something that I think in the horror fan community sometimes gets talked about is like, what are the ethics of portraying a rape in a horror film? Uh, is that something that is inherently wrong? And you'll always have people that come out and say, well, you know, these are movies where people are getting their limbs chopped off and they're getting murdered. Is it worse to be murdered than to be raped? And so if it's okay to show characters getting murdered, why isn't it okay to show them getting raped? You know? Um, And I think it's an interesting question. Like, what is it about certain things that strikes us as, like, worse, more, more horrific, even though in reality, they're not as bad. I think part of it is that it becomes more relatable. Like you've never had someone you know get their head cut off, but a lot of people know someone who's experienced sexual assault or something like that. Mm -hmm. So, but then there are people who've had their heads cut off, right? I mean- They're probably not listening to this podcast. (laughs) Yeah, like, but I mean, you know, there are people who who know someone who was murdered. Mm -hmm. That's happened, it's just, it's rarer. But for those people, it's probably really traumatic to go see a horror film. So, I don't know. I don't. I don't know if I have a point about that. But I do think it's a really interesting like problem of like what kinds of things you can present in a horror film. Like what kinds of horrific acts are like can be fun for the audience or should be fun. I don't know. Um. I think that I like don't really want to get into a huge discussion about this, but I just I think most of the time rape scenes are just gratuitous and it's just kind of cheap and it's like, okay, like, you know, you've got the pretty girl getting raped in a horror movie. Like, you, you there's a million 
different things you could have done. Like you didn't have to do that. You did that because you know there's a market for it. Mm. And like, go fuck yourself. How about that? Yeah, I definitely think there, that's something we probably should have talked about in our episode on the Evil Dead is like the way in which it's depicted. Like, is it depicted to be horrifying or is it depicted to be titillating to the male audience? You know, because that's like its own thing. I definitely don't want to think about it. Um, so, yeah, I think there's there's a, a, obviously a more complicated politics going on mm-hmm. with that. But um, anyway, I definitely think that's a, a real insight that like things that are l- less worse can be more worse. It's <laughs> <laughs> very good, Kenny. Using your of... words, very articulate. Thank you. English. I, degree. I have a PhD. So, what's... What are our favorite things about the movie? I thought the acting was really good. Yeah. Definitely compared to the original. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love you guys to death, but wow. Although I, I think that adds to its charm and it's, you know, part of its silliness. Mm-hmm. Is that it's just so stupid. Yeah, I think Jane Levy in particular, who plays Mia... Mm-hmm. Um, is she's oh, good as yeah. Mia, but she's great as evil Mia. Like she's so scary. I I thought she was. I was already impressed when. Remember, she was like in her bunk and she was like horrified. She was like talking to her brother, like saying like there's something else in here, and he wasn't yeah. leaving her. And she looks like her eyes are so wide, mm-hmm. and she looks absolutely fucking terrified. I was already impressed with how traumatized she did a really good traumatized you know yeah that's a really scary scene too because she's like whispering yeah creepily yeah Mm -hmm. yeah she did a really good job i like how scary the movie is Mm -hmm. um i think that possessed people are really freaky looking in this it had a great advertising campaign where they it would focus on evil mia in the cellar like just making weird noises and sticking her tongue out and stuff and it's like that image is just is don't say tongue creepy oh yeah that part is creepy too Mm, 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 mm. um so i love that you were talking about how you thought the soundtrack was really effective Mm -hmm. you want to talk about that well i was particularly impressed with that sound like their sound effects like it, it wasn't even music it was like a siren Mm-hmm. But I compared it, it sounded like a cat crying mixed with like an old school police siren. It's like a wailing. And it's like, very. Wah! Yeah. And it's like in some like, you know, creepy, out of tune sort of eerie noise that just, you know, puts you off balance and unsettles you. So you're just like, ugh. I can't. There's so many times I was watching the movie and I was just like, uncomfortable like anxiety and then the sound and it's just like you know yeah it just puts you in that horror mindset of like it is everything's awful (laughs) yeah i think the score is like really effective um we should maybe point out that among fans of the evil dead franchise uh not everybody loves the remake um so i I don't doubt it yeah I think I'm kind of a weirdo in in this sense as well. 
Um, and part of the reason not everybody loved this, I think, is that people had uh, expectations that it would be more like the sequels, that it would be more of a horror comedy. Mm-hmm. And so the fact that it is so, like, dark and mm, semi-serious and upsetting, mm-hmm. I think, uh, didn't work for a lot of people. I'm looking at the at Rotten Tomatoes. It has a 62% tomato meter and a 63% audience score. So um, it's just barely fresh then, right? Yeah, yeah. I would say this is a like a criminally underrated film. But uh, yeah, I think if you're going in looking for more of like the goofy tone of Evil Dead 2 and Army of Darkness, you're not going to find it. Mm-hmm. Um, so... I think it's for the best that they didn't try to recreate that aspect. I think it would have really cheapened this movie because there's no way they could have recreated that magic. Um, so it's best that they just went in one direction only Mm -hmm. so yeah i agree i think it's great for what it is but i guess you know that's coming from me and the original the evil dead is my favorite of the original trilogy and that is weird you know i think most people when they think of the evil dead franchise they think of comedy horror and they think of groovy and hail to the king baby and all these like one-liners that ash does like that is the franchise for a lot of people so to take those elements out you know to other to other people who aren't me might just seem like pointless. Mm-hmm. Do you have any least favorite aspects of the movie? Well, the dog died. Yeah, I was thinking about that when you were. Talking I was surprised about... you didn't warn me about it. Although, to be fair, the second I saw the dog, I was like, "Well, your days are fucking numbered." Yeah, you're like minutes. So, yeah. I mean, I knew it going in, but it's still, every time I see it, I just roll my eyes, and I'm like... <sighs> yeah, so it's kind, of, it's kind of like what you are saying before. It's like a trope that's kind of worn yes, out, and it is. it's lazy. Think of something else. Yeah, do something else. You don't have to do that. It takes away a lot for me hmm. when I see that happen. And I know it's not just me, either, because like, there's the whole, like, doesthedogdie.com, you mm-hmm. know? So it's not just me being, like, a obnoxious animal lover. So there's that. Um, yeah, some of that gore was so cringy that I was just like, oh. And I think you know exactly which part I was, I'm talking about. The part you didn't want to talk about before with the tongue? Uh, no, I'm thinking of another one. Oh, yeah? Where I, I think I yelled. I was like so ugh, you know like do you know which part it was uh where uh no i don't remember okay what is it the needle in the eye oh yeah the needle i was ugh, i almost died of cringe where when I eric saw that. eric has a needle stabbed not into his eyeball into his but eyeball. like below so it's like going into his eye socket Fucking and he has to me. like pull it out Oh my god, it was uh, so bad. And I'm not like a crazy needle person. Like, I don't freak out the side of needles. Needles are fine, I don't care. Uh-huh. But anything to do with eyeballs freaks me out. So, I'm starting to feel lightheaded talking about it. <laughs> okay, we can move on. <laughs> um, so, I have a, a more serious criticism of the film. I have some serious criticism of the film. 
Okay, like what? I think th- there's certain scenes that could have been moved around. Hmm. Like what? Like, okay, I know this is going to sound stupid because this is a horror movie podcast, but I would have really appreciated it if it had a happy ending. Uh-huh. Um, I think that they should have... I, I understand... Okay, so... I mean, it kind of does. Sort of. I mean, it's not just like everyone dies, everything is horrible, the end. Like, there's a survivor. But I think that her brother should have survived, too. I think they should have ended it with him reviving her, and they both live. And I understand that they wanted to do all that crazy blood gore stuff after that. I think they could have moved... They could have found a way to incorporate that earlier on and still, like, had them both survive. I, I just didn't... It felt kind of clunky at the end, like it was tacked on. Like, you, you, you should have ended it by now. Okay, I think I actually agree with you. Really? Yeah. Not necessarily that the ending should have been happy, but I think we're 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 having a similar problem with the ending. Okay. Which is uh who is the protagonist of this movie? I would say it's David. David is the character we're following at the beginning who first arrives at the cabin. We meet the other characters through the lens of him. And he is this character who has something that he has to work past. He has not really been there for Mia in her life, mm-hmm. and he's trying to make up for that. And so he has this like clear desire, which is to save his sister. Mm-hmm. And in the end, at the climax of the film, he he uh, sacrifices himself to to do that. Mm-hmm. Right? He brings her back, and then he locks himself in the cabin and lights explodes it basically and burns it down with him and the evil eric inside to save her so he i think is the main character and then but then he's revived mia at the end and then mia becomes the protagonist she becomes the main character she's the last you know she's the final girl and she has to fight off like the big boss at the end the the um abomination that comes out although i'm not really sure like how that works exactly because he's supposed to have to possess five souls before he can come out so i guess that's counting mia even though she's been rescued at this point Mm -hmm. because there's only four other characters but anyway um then she has to fight him and i love that sequence where she's like fighting this possessed this like evil marilyn manson looking thing uh and the the, I, i like that whole sequence i think it's great but the problem is Mia has been MIA Get don't, it? Don't. No. for pretty much the whole movie. She's been, I mean, she's physically there, but she, it's the possessed evil Mia for like 80% of the runtime. Mm-hmm. So we just barely meet her at the beginning. Then she's possessed. And then, and, and David is the main character. And then at the end, we're suddenly supposed to be like rooting for her to defeat this thing and feel this great catharsis when she finally wins and kills it. And it's like, it's weird, you know? It'd be like if, you know, I don't know, Linda Hamilton, at the you know, after 20 minutes of The Terminator, she, like, goes back to her job as a waitress, and then she comes back in in the last five minutes and defeats The Terminator and says, you're a terminated fucker, and we're supposed <laughs> to be like, yeah, but it's like, we don't really know this character. We're not invested. Right, yeah. There is just something kind of disorganized about it. So, so I think yeah, dramatically that's that's kind of a problem. 
Um, I remember, like, watching the movie, because I've seen, like, you know, the DVD cover, like, posters for it, and it has Mia on it, right? Mm -hmm. So I went in the movie thinking she's the main character, and then she becomes a deadite, like, pretty, pretty early on, I'd She's say. the first one to be possessed. So then I was like, wait, what? And then it seems like David's the main character, so I was like... Was this all just one big misdirect on purpose to throw me off? Like, I was confused. So, I think that is part of something that we could talk about, which is how this film relates to the original as a remake of it. Like, how does it play differently for people who haven't seen the original films versus people who have? And I think there is something kind of clever about what it's doing there, because I think it knows that the people who have seen the original films who are fans of Evil Dead are going to be looking for, like, which character is Ash, mm. in quotation marks, right? Obviously, Ash is not in this film, but as a remake, you'd think it would have a character who is the analog to Ash. Mm -hmm. um, and so we're kind of thinking, okay, who's... And in the original, too, we talked about in our episode on it how, like, uh, it's not entirely clear who's the protagonist. Ash sort of eventually emerges as the main character by virtue of everyone else dying like the process of elimination <laughs> yeah yeah which is a normal horror thing mm -hmm. but usually it's a final girl here it's a final fellow and uh in this movie there's a similar thing but it has that added sort of resonance that we kind of care who's going to be the main character as fans of the franchise because this is our new ash you know if the if there's going to be a new series going going on from this point this is going to have to this person's going to have to step into those shoes and i think the film kind of intentionally misdirects us with scenes like the one in which uh natalie has to cut her hand off like we said that's what ash does in the original mm -hmm. uh well not in the first film but in evil dead 2 and that's sort of a you know becomes like the defining thing about him is he's got a chainsaw for a hand and so I think by having us her do that, it kind of makes the audience think, oh, wait, so she's going to be our main character? But then, no, that doesn't happen. Mm -hmm. And similarly with David, he's sort of set up as the main character. And Mia is like, finally, you know, in the end, when she pulls her arm off, that's her Ash moment where she has to yeah. lose, lose a limb to become the protagonist. Okay. So I don't know. I don't know how we feel about that. I mean, we've talked about how it, it creates a sort of dramatic problem with the end of the film. Um, like, I kind of see what they were trying to do. I just don't think it worked. Yeah. There are some other things that I think uh, play differently for people who know about the original movie. One of them is they do try to burn the book. Eric tries to put, put the book into a fire, and it just doesn't burn. So... For people who haven't seen the original, that I think that scene works, uh, just in the sense of, you know, that's a logical, sort of logical thing that you might do mm -hmm. in that situation. The book seems to have caused all this, so try to burn the book, and it doesn't work. So it's kind of like showing the characters behaving in a realistic way, or like doing things that the audience might think of, um, which is something horror films often struggle with, I think. You know, like... The audience is always sitting there saying, don't go in there or just get out of the house or, you know, these common things that people suggest. And so more modern horror films, I think, expect that. And so they have the characters try those things and show that it doesn't work. Um, so that's a moment like that. But if you know about the original, then you know that that's how 
things get resolved in The Evil Dead, the original film. Ash throws the book into the fire at the end, and that's what defeats the Deadites. So it's kind of a, an extra neat little thing to have it here, rarely, like, in the middle of the film to kind of show, like, hey, this one's not going to be as simple of a problem to solve. So, you know, you sort of, you maybe think you know where this is going, you think that they're going to end up burning the book and yada yada, but no, like, we're going in our own way. I like that. That's good. And then there are, there are like, little quotes in the dialogue. There are moments where the dialogue is taking from the original films. So a character says, what happened to her eyes? That's something from the original Evil Dead. And then uh, there's a part where David is saying, okay, everything's going to be fine. And Eric says, you know, our friend just cut her arm off. Does that sound fine? That's like when Ash is looking in the mirror and his mirror self says to him, we just cut our bar girlfriend with a chainsaw. Does that sound fine to you? <laughs> so those I think are nice little nods to the original that would mm-hmm. pass unnoticed if you didn't, if you didn't know the series. But you know, as a nerd, I kind of appreciate those. You know. Yeah. There's a there's a there's an art to fan service, I guess, is what I'm saying. You know, like you have to have it work in the new context as well. Mm. Like one moment that people complain about in Rogue One, the new Star Wars, well, new-ish Star Wars film. I guess we should say Do that. Do you want to talk about Star Wars? Yeah, um, I guess we should say we're old. So to me, like anything that came out in the last twenty years is new. Um, so. Uh, in Rogue One, there's a moment where the characters get stopped by, uh, just randomly on the street by Ponda Baba and what's the other guy? His name is Ponda Baba. Ponda Baba is like the guy who has like a spider's face, and then the other guy. Oh man, I'm gonna lose my Star Wars cred if I don't know his name. Yesterday, um, I ha- I told my parents something about like oh. Kenny knows so much about Star Wars that I have to call him and ask him questions about Star Wars, and they thought I was making a joke. Hmm. Well, okay. So I I didn't just look this up on Wikipedia, listeners. Uh, trust me. Uh, Ponda Baba and Dr. Cornelius Evazon, uh, who are the the two weirdos who harass Luke at the bar at the at the cantina in the original Star Wars, mm-hmm. they randomly like bump into those people and okay i see in, what you're saying now. in in rogue one and it's just like it's there for it's no such reason a deep cut well it's a deep cut so it's a thing that you like it's like ah, remember those guys from star wars on the but original no one star else wars would, like know or care yeah but it's like so it's not like in your face yeah but it's like it doesn't it doesn't add anything to rogue one like you could take that bit out it doesn't do any it doesn't function in its own film in any way it mm-hmm. just seems like a bit of fan service that's just randomly thrown in so that's what i don't like well i i can think of so many more examples that are so much worse like what you you want to talk about star wars okay no we're not (laughs) gonna do that okay fine i guess that'll be our other podcast we'll have to make a star wars podcast shit no i'm i'm tired of i'm tired of star wars there's so much star wars discourse i just refuse to engage because i'm practicing self-care yeah i guess we could talk about you know i think that this movie has a subtext oh yeah that was not in the original okay let's have it which is addiction Mm. so mia is a heroin addict 
and is here trying to quit from her addiction. That wasn't in the original movie. Do you know what's funny? What? Is that in the beginning when she had that little bag and she was pouring it down the well and she was saying something... She had some little mantra, whatever. She was, like, making an oath not to use anymore. I thought she was practicing witchcraft. And mm. I was like, what spell is this that she's doing? Because I thought it was, like, graveyard dirt or, like, black salt or something in that little bag. Because that's just, you know, a little sneak peek into my life. That's way more normal to me than whatever she was doing. I thought she was doing a spell. And I was like, wow, this is interesting. Mm-hmm. This is an interesting take. But I, that's not what was happening, so... But that's a, a connection between addiction and dark magic, right? Okay. It's like a similarity. Is and it? I think there's a lot of similarities in this film between the supernatural events that happen and Mia's drug addiction. Okay. So, for instance, David has been sort of out of Mia's life for a while, and so he didn't know that she overdosed. So he has to be told this by her friends that she actually, after the last time that she tried to go to cold turkey and then relapsed, she overdosed and she actually died. She Mm -hmm. was like legally dead and then she was resuscitated with a defibrillator. And... I just uh, realized that that's what happens to her in the end, too. Exactly. Yeah, in the end... just realized that. She, again, dies and then David has this like makeshift defibrillator that he's concocted with like a car battery and he uh, resuscitates her so it's like he is that process is being repeated so Mm -hmm. her possession is like a a drug addiction that's killing her we also get a line of dialogue where eric says um talking about the evil force that's possessed mia he says that thing is attached to mia's soul like a leech it's becoming her so the idea of, I think that's, you know, that's how people talk about addiction as well, right? It's the monkey on your shoulder. It's like this leech that's, that's a parasite on you that's like sucking away your, your life. Mm-hmm. And that's what the, the evil force is for, for Mia. Mm-hmm. It also appears, when it first appears to her, the evil force that's in the woods that possesses her, um, she sees it as like a doppelganger. It's like a version of herself. Right, and then it like goes inside of her. But it's interesting to me that it is this doppelganger, even when it's outside of Mia and before it's possessed her. I think that's a, a clue that the thing is the darker side of herself. It's her uh, her her uh, other self, her shadow self, her shadow which self, is her yeah. um, her drug addiction. Okay, I can see that. Um. So yeah, there's a bunch of things like that. I mean, there's also just kind of a continuity between what we see of Mia's struggle with drug addiction and what she's like as a possessed person. Like, even before anything supernatural has happened in the story, she's already wigging out because she's, like, going through the DTs or whatever. Like, she's yeah. screaming and being acting like a weirdo. So it's like her friends, it takes them a while to figure out that she's been possessed because they're kind of expecting this kind of behavior from her. And that's... That's something that gave me a lot of anxiety watching that movie. It's like, no, like you don't understand. You know, like it really, I think that's brilliant, but oh boy. It took like five years off my life watching that movie. 
Yeah, so it's a it's a harrowing thing, but I think it has more of a purpose to be than in the original movies. Like, it's kind of it's exploring this this dark topic of drug addiction. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know what what would you say it ultimately is saying about that. Um, if I had to say something off the top of my head, I would say maybe it's like you know, more complicated than people think it is. You know, it's not as black and white as a lot of people imagine. It's not just like, oh, we'll just quit, you know? Like, Mm -hmm. it's... um, When you're going through, like, withdrawals and stuff, like, you want to backslide so bad, and you kind of have to look at the dark part of yourself, and... You know, there's there's a lot of layers there. Yeah. I also think it's kind of like, I don't know, what what allows Mia to survive in the film is her brother's heroism, his willingness, and her friends too. But, I mean, his brother ultimately sacrifices himself. So there's a way that, you know, your addiction imposes costs on the people in your life. Mm-hmm. And they can be really important in getting you out and allowing you to survive i think ultimately the film is i mean there's there's kind of this ethical dilemma that's introduced early on in the film right how should mia's friends take care of her is it okay for them to hold her against her will and force her not to do the drug or is that going too far should they respect her autonomy and her choice Mm -hmm. um and I think ultimately the film does come down on the side of that it is important to go to extreme lengths even, and you can save someone mm-hmm. by doing that. I think also, like, you know, people who are addicts, their addict side is like a different person, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, you'll do things that you wouldn't do if you weren't addicted to a substance like alcohol or drugs. Like, you'll do anything to get that fix, right? You'll do things you wouldn't normally do. You'll steal from your friends and, like, pawn their stuff. You'll, you know, accidentally not show up to an event that's really important to someone because you were high or drunk. Like, it's not you. It's your addict side. It's kind of like your shadow self. Mm -hmm. So I think there's that, too. Definitely. One thing that I've found difficult to like fully makes sense with this like addiction theme is the motif of self-harm in the movie like it seems like you know self-harm is an essential part of what makes someone evil in this film that means when you're possessed one of the first things you do is you start to engage in self-harm so mia like showers in boiling water and like burns her skin off she cuts her tongue in half um natalie has to cut off her own arm and she like takes the nail gun and like shoots herself in the face apparently because her face is like covered with nails sticking out of it olivia like cuts her own face off like her lower half of her face so you can see her like exposed jaw bones and stuff Mm. um so it seems like that's that was in the original films too, but it's really emphasized here. 
It's like the, the crucial component to what makes someone demonic. I think that makes sense with the addiction, addiction idea that, you know, you're harming yourself, you're damaging yourself and the people around you. But then on the other hand, there are these moments where it seems like self-harm is the answer because Natalie has to cut her own arm off because it's become possessed. And then Mia, like, pulling her arm off after it's been trapped under a car, a la 127 hours with James Franco, uh, is what allows her to win in the end. And it seems like, I don't know. So what do you think the film is saying about like when it's self-harm is justified or when it's bad or I don't know Mm, that one's a tough one I feel like addiction you know it's a it's a form of self-harm so there's that and then maybe I mean detoxing is painful yeah but you have to go through it in order to survive Maybe. Yeah. So. I guess we've been talking about addiction as a kind of alter ego that you have to, I guess, kill. You know? Like, you you are in this battle with yourself. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. So it can be hard to know, you know, what kind of painful things are going to lead ultimately to a brighter future and what part what is part of the cycle of, you know, self-harm that you're in. Right. It's rough. So that's a thing too. And and then another thing, and this I think is like a bigger criticism that I have with the movie, maybe even a bigger criticism than the problems we were having with the ending is well, maybe maybe you'll have a different reading than me, but I don't I don't like the stuff about mental health in the film. Cuz that's another subtext that's there, but I don't think it gets developed as much and it kind of like confuses me as far as like it just seems like it doesn't gel with what it's trying to say about addiction so uh in addition to david not being there for mia he also kind of skipped out on their mother so their mother had some unspecified mental illness maybe dementia Mm -hmm. as she was in her final years and uh she and mia was there for her and it took a toll on mia and uh, whereas David kind of just didn't visit and didn't deal with that situation. And Mia says that her mother like confused her for David and so she pretended to be him sometimes. Uh, but they also say that the mother was a quote unquote monster uh, in the end. So that also is like an obvious thing that the possessions could stand in for, right? Mia is becoming crazy like her mother. Right? This evil is something that makes you act in a crazy way and makes you delusional and hurt yourself and all these things that mental illness can do. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't, I don't know that there's a, like as clear of a through line there. Like it doesn't, it doesn't come up as much, and it doesn't. I don't know how the ending is saying anything about that, or I, I don't know. So what do you what do you think about all that? I, I guess it wasn't like as defined of a theme for me to really grasp onto it. I do remember him saying something like, oh, I f-, like along the lines of what happened to their mother is happening to her now. Mm-hmm. And that's why she's acting like this. 
So yeah, when you put that there along with like this, the themes of addiction, it's like you, you probably should pick one and not try to like throw both of those things at the wall to see what sticks. Yeah, that's that's my feeling. Although unless I guess you're trying to say you're trying to say something about how those things interrelate. And well, they definitely kind of leads do, but I don't think it was like well established enough to like read into that because like mental illness and addiction go hand in hand like almost always so well then maybe it does make sense yeah but i don't know if most people know that yeah but maybe i don't know I guess those moments in the film are just kind of pointing to the ways in which we could read the possessions as kind of like a metaphor for the dark things that people deal with in their soul. Uh Um, Okay. So maybe that would be a justification for including both is like to avoid it just being an allegory. Maybe they should have had one of the other characters have mental health issues and like maybe not both, you know? Yeah. Then I would have maybe picked up on it better. Hmm. Yeah. The other characters are a little bit forgettable. I think that's... I mean, I've continually forgot their names as we're recording. I keep having to look back at my notes. Um, You have, like, really basic, like, forgettable names. Yeah. But, I mean, I think that's something you could say about the original film, too. And it's not necessarily a knock against the film that it doesn't have, like, elaborate backstories for all the characters. Or we don't really get to know them that well. Yeah, we don't have time for that, like... There's, like, so much blood splatter we have to get to. Yeah. Any other thoughts about the remake? I don't think so. Would you recommend it? I don't think I'll ever see it again. (laughs) I definitely would recommend it uh, to our listeners. Um, If if you want to see some really messed up stuff... Like, super gross and disgusting. Some, like, very unique and creative messed up stuff. Mm-hmm. That also kind of has, like, a cool message. Um, and it can be funny if you're kind of a sick person like me. Um, yeah, and it's just really well made. I, 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 I guess one more thing we should say is, like, the use of practical effects. Like, there's not a lot of, like, digital blood spatter and stuff like that in this like they used real blood packets they used you know real prosthetics and real this and that and and it really shows like there's a kind of uh believability to the violence here that unfortunately is pretty awesome so and i wish uh that they had made a sequel to it i would have loved to see a sequel like they were planning that would have connected this story to the larger Evil Dead franchise uh, in a more definitive way. But instead, what we got was Ash versus Evil Dead, the TV show. Uh, so we can talk about that. Uh, so some basic facts about Ash versus Evil Dead. It was a TV series that ran for three seasons on Stars from 2015 to 2018 for a total of 30 roughly half-hour episodes. It was developed by Sam Raimi, his brother Ivan, and Tom Speciale as a sequel to the original trilogy of Evil Dead films. It stars Bruce Campbell and Lucy Lawless, and has a musical score by series regular Joseph Loduca. 
Uh, okay, so I'm going to start spoiling the plot of Ash vs. Evil Dead, so be aware of that. So, 30 years after the events of the Evil Dead trilogy, Ash Williams is an underachieving lout who still works at a department store and lives in a trailer park. While high, he tries to impress a girl by reading a passage from the Necronomicon, unwittingly unleashing a slew of demons who begin to possess the living. A strange woman named Ruby also appears, claiming to be a demon fighter out to stop Ash, whom she blames for their reappearance. In Season 1, Ash teams up with department store co-workers Pablo and Kelly to confront the evil threatening the world, and ultimately to discover that Ruby is a demon, planning to use the dark power of the Necronomicon as part of an ongoing cosmic battle between herself and other evil forces. Ash agrees to a truce, giving her the book in return for a promise not to interfere in his, Pablo's, and Kelly's lives. In Season 2, Ruby breaks the truce, summoning demons that attack Ash, bringing him and his pals out of retirement. When they track down Ruby, she convinces them that her children have betrayed her, and that they should form an alliance with her to prevent even eviler beings from obtaining the Necronomicon's power. Along with taking down a new antagonist, the powerful demon Baal, Ash returns in this season to his hometown and reconciles with his estranged father. In the third and final season, all hell breaks loose again when Ruby again acquires the Necronomicon and uses it to summon demons to do her bidding. Ash reunites with Brandy, a daughter he never knew he had, but has to compete for her affection with Ruby, who has been posing as a school counselor at Brandy's high school. In the series finale, Ash, Pablo, Kelly, and Brandy must work together to prevent the entire world from being engulfed by evil. Oh, I think that's the most complicated plot summary I've ever had to do. Yeah, that was long. Yeah, I just... And and there's so much... As I was looking through, like, the, the uh, plot summaries of all the different episodes, there are just... There is so much shit that happens in this show um, Boy, that, howdy. that I had to leave out. There's so much plot. And uh, you just finished watching this show, Nary, a few hours ago. That's right. So um, what are your thoughts? I think this show is a fucking gift and that we are lucky that we got it. And it's sad that it was only three seasons, but it was worth it. It's an absolute delight fucking yes love it I think it's the perfect mixture of all of them Evil Mm. Dead's 1 and 2 and Army of Darkness it like combined that balance of horror and comedy it's you know more horrific than Army of Darkness but it's funny so and it's hilarious when I say funny I mean brilliantly funny so oh my god I just love that show so much it's perfection. Wow. So you really you like it a lot. I'm fucking fired up about it. So if you were going to rank the whole series, including the show, what would your ranking be? Oh, my God. Uh, <laughs> um, I, I, you know, hmm, oh, shit. There's a lot more of the show... Mm-hmm. So, fuck. <laughs> I'm just gonna go ahead and say I like the show the best, and then Army of Darkness, and then Evil Dead Two, and then Evil Dead, and then the remake. 
Okay. Did I miss something? You no, look like you're no, that's, counting. that's everything. Okay. Um, interesting. Yeah, it's okay. Look, it's really tight with Army of Darkness in the show, but only because, like, I've seen Army of Darkness so many times. It's such a classic to me. Like, the most quotable movie ever, almost. Um, so, you know, I've, I've loved it for more years, so I'm more invested in it. But the show, like, every single episode I watched, I was just like, oh my god, that was so good. You know, like, thank you. Thank you for that. Like, it just felt like every episode felt like a special gift from Sam Raimi and Bruce Campbell and the whole gang. You know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. it just, it was like, you know, a labor of love and it was, it was just wonderful. Do you want to know my ranking? Yeah, of course, Kenny. Um, so my ranking would go The Evil Dead, uh -huh. the original. This is it going to make me mad, isn't it? Army of Darkness. <laughs> okay. Evil Dead 2. Uh-huh. Evil Dead the remake. Okay, I'm mad. And then the TV show. That's why you were so excited to tell me. You were like, ooh, <laughs> she's going to be mad at this. I'm so stoked. So we have different we have different opinions. We both put Army of Darkness at number two, so that's... What's your that's problem with the show? What's I, your deal? I like the show. What's your problem? But that's I don't love I the okay, show. Okay, but why? Um, I feel like it's very uneven. What the... Like... This there, podcast is canceled. <laughs> there are funny parts. Um, there are somewhat yeah, like scary constantly parts. funny parts. Um, What's what? But I don't know. I uh, I don't. I think there are also really dumb things in the show. And what's, what's dumb? Like some of the the jokes are groaners to me. Like what? I can't think of a specific. Thing. It's been a while if since I've seen... If you have not brought any evidence to me, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> I definitely... I, okay. We just watched it. Yeah. Just I, now. I have some I have some specific criticism. Okay. So, I feel like the show feels like it's wandering around. It feels listless a lot of the time. Characters uh, feel like they're in a holding pattern. Like, the relationship between Pablo and Kelly... Yeah. Is a will they, won't they okay. that never really goes anywhere. That one and was that that aspect is a little bit confusing. And Lucy Lawless's character Ruby, who is the antagonist of the show, she just goes back and forth between being evil and being I guess she's not evil, they're working with her now, and then mm -hmm. she betrays them and then they form another alliance with her and it's like, Why would you do that? <laughs> and uh, you know, there's only so long that you can have this character's motivations be a mystery and not have me not be annoyed I by that. I definitely understand that. I, and this is a pet peeve of mine that has to do with TV shows in general, is I don't like the J.J. Abrams... I don't like J.J. Abrams. Uh, me neither. Uh, or uh, What is that other guy that I don't like? Damon Lindelof. That style of like writing... sounds like a Nazi. Well, he's not a Nazi. Dear listeners, we're not accusing Damon Lindelof of political crimes, only storytelling crimes. What this, did he do? Who is it? He, he wrote Lost. Uh, he also oh. wrote Prometheus, the alien So he's probably like sequel. friends with J.J. Abrams. Yes, yeah. Both, they, both of they, them then. I don't like this style of storytelling. 
where you set up a bunch of mysteries and you don't know what the answers are yourself. You're just like, that's a dis- what eventually, the fuck? eventually we'll figure out what we're going to do here, yeah, but they never figure it out. That's not a good idea. And that I feel like Ruby is like that. Like, I don't know that they knew what her thing was going to be. They want, they knew they wanted her to be mysterious and sort of, sort of evil, but potentially a good character. And they just waited and waited to figure out. And they, what happens with her character is not satisfying to me. Okay. And, and, and I don't like another, another thing okay. that I don't like okay. is I don't, I don't like Battlestar Galactica. And this <laughs> is a, I don't know if that's relevant. I, I'm telling you it is relevant. Okay. So this is a strange opinion. Most people love the Battlestar Galactica remake, but I did not like it. I stopped watching after the first season. And the reason was that, um, it's a story about humans in the future fighting against robots that like look identical to humans like terminator but there's no robot underneath so it's like are they just people it's never made clear Hmm. and the robots can impersonate humans and when they're in person when they're impersonating someone even that person doesn't know that they're a robot so it's like blade runner yeah it's yes like blade there's a lot of things like that but the problem is that the humans don't have any way of telling the difference between who's a robot and who isn't. And so one episode after another, there's this shocking reveal that this character that we've known and loved is actually a robot. And um, the, the characters in the show and the audience do not know what the robot's overarching goal is. What are they trying to accomplish in this war? It seems like if they can, you know... Uh, uh, turn anybody into a robot and in uh what's the word when you go into some something a possession can clandestinely and infiltrate the the humans ships and stuff it seems like they could win the war easily and just kill everyone if they wanted to kill everyone but it seems like that isn't what they want um but because the robots are so powerful and they can take over anyone and because we don't know what their goal is, that means that the writers have total control to do whatever the hell they want. They can have the characters be put into peril and then suddenly the robots just go away and decide not to kill them because who knows why. And so you can create all this quote unquote drama and quote unquote suspense as a writer without having to be accountable, you know? Like the writing should be like a magic trick, right? The audience should be amazed that you've found a way for the characters to get out of the situation or for something exciting and, and new to happen, but in a way that makes sense with the rules that you've established. So mm-hmm. I need rules. I need constraints <laughs> on the writers. When the writers write themselves a situation that has no constraints, then it's boring. Then any can, anything can happen and sure, okay, this person's a robot now. Great. And I feel like Ash vs. Evil Dead falls into that problem with, with Ruby and the nature of the really the the conflict in the show which is between her and the other characters we don't understand what her goal is and what exactly she's trying to do and blah 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 and it's like that works fine for like the evil dead movies where like random shit happens all the time because it's an hour and a half long and it's like fun and whatever and then it's over but for a show that goes on and on and on i get tired of it so that's my rant okay what do you feel better now (laughs) I put I've I rest my case. Now what do you what do you say to that? That I don't care. I don't care what you think. Because to me it's magic and you can't take it away from me. Okay. I mean I'm saying I like the show as well. I'm not saying I hate the show. Okay. 
I just have that that issue with it. Mm, I just where, don't care. I feel like it's looking a gift horse in the mouth. Yeah. Like, not to go on my own rant, but I begged for, like, I don't know, 40 years for more X-Files episodes and, like, got myself blocked on Twitter by Chris Carter. Um, I was so annoying, I can't even begin to describe how many people hate me personally because of all the noise I made about wanting more X-Files. And then I got it. And I'll never forgive myself for getting what I wanted because, dear God, that is not what I wanted. The new X-Files show sucks. The way that they ended it is like, why would you spit in our faces? Like, why would you do that? No one's happy with it. There's no X-Files fan that's like, wow, that was great. Like, no one likes it. Does Mulder, like, cut Scully's head off or something? <laughs> it would have been a better ending, honestly. It's bad. I'm not going to get into it, but it taught me a very valuable lesson. Like, be careful what you wish for because it's like, you know, it's like that old trope about, like, don't, if you bring him back from the dead, he won't be the person that you knew. You know, he's mm, that different. That cemetery now. kind of thing. Yeah. So that that's basically what happened. So... Yeah, no. This I, wasn't that. Yeah. So I'm so thrilled that we got that and not something absolutely fucking horrendous that will make me hate myself a little more every day. Yeah, I agree with that. I think Bruce Campbell is amazing. He's great in it. He's yes. just really lovable. Well, he's good in everything. And he's, he's funny. He's a perfect human being. Um, so yeah, it's great to see him as the character again. To me, the, the like, action-slash-horror sequences are often kind of underwhelming compared to the movies. And I feel like that's maybe inevitable in a TV show where you just have so much more stuff to make and, you know, a smaller budget and blah, blah, blah. Um, but I don't know. I, so maybe that's just something with TV in general. Like, I should, I should go in expecting a, a lower average quality level than you would have in a feature film. But I feel like, I don't know, like in recent times, that's kind of been, that expectation has been blown out of the water by shows like Breaking Bad and The Wire and Game of Thrones and stuff like that, where where you don't necessarily have sub-theatrical film production value and, and uh, you know, quality in all these areas. So, I don't know. But, I, I don't know, I feel like the in, the ingenuity of those sequences is not always you know, up to the level of the movies or not often up to that level. Okay. But I agree about the the balance of horror and comedy. I think that's really, it's really fun the way that they do that. And they do do the thing that I like where it's something becomes so horrific that it becomes funny on the show. Um, like I remember this one time this, that Ash, like he gets like, he's like attacked by this possessed corpse. And then he like, ends up with his head sticking out of its butt and it's like so gross <laughs> that was a really gross part uh that was turned out to be funny but it's like yeah there's a lot of terrible. really obnoxious deaths on the show and that thing about the you know new and unique ways to destroy a deadite like fuck man 
like one that sticks with me is like someone got put through a harp or some oh, sort of yeah. harp like thing and i was like oh my god <laughs> there's a bunch of slices Ugh. yeah so yeah there's all kinds of theatrics going on there with the getting creative with the deaths and you never know what's going to happen next yeah, and then I guess we can end by talking about the uh, the final episode and, and how you feel about the conclusion to the show. Well, I've had my heart broken so much by shows and movies. And by now, my standards are so low that I think it was great. Yeah, I, I don't think they knew that they were... It was going to be the final season when they were writing it. Right. It got canceled it like partway through. definitely felt like the setup for the next season. Yeah. So what happens for our listeners who didn't see the show? Um, in the end, there's this apocalyptic event going on and this giant Godzilla-sized demon is attacking and Ash stands up to it and, and defeats it, it seems. But then he like falls unconscious and he wakes up in the final scene and it's like the far future and there's this robot person. It's like he was cryogenically frozen or something. Yeah, he wakes up in like a cryo tube and he's in the far future and this robot person comes and says, you know, come on, Ash Williams, we need to fight the deadites. And he's like, what? What's going on? It's like, I'll explain while we're driving. And they get into like this cool car that has hail to the chief wasn't it the classic just hail to the with king. like new modifications mm, that must be what I it is i think it was like the classic turned into a tank style like battle yeah it's like a mech thing yeah and so they get in and they they drive off into the sunset and who knows what became of the other characters in the series right. he like says like what happened to my daughter or where's my daughter and she was like i'll explain it all on the way or something so we don't know so we don't know um we can imagine so you know i think definitely it it feels like they were setting up for the next season but in a way i think it's a kind of a fitting end for the the series at least for me because we were talking in our last episode about how my preferred ending to army of darkness is the one where ash wakes up in the far it future it is very much in that vein so it's kind of funny that like I wanted to see the sequel where that ending, you know, that that ending was setting up where Ash is in the far future. And so in a way the series kind of like knew that. And so it was like, "Hey Kenny, here's another setup to that sequel you wanted to see and now you'll won't get it again." <laughs> and um but it, you know, there's a kind of uh uh you know, it, it rhymes with that, you know. It's mm. kind of like a neat callback um that you know and that's kind of like a running theme in the series right it's like the battle against evil is never over and even when it seems like it's been defeated there's always be some ridiculous other thing that happens that'll make ash continue to fight it yeah i think that's why i liked it is because like ash is always going to be around he's always going to be fighting the deadites and like it's a constant i love constants um I, I need something to fucking like hold on to. things that are the same. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so, like a baby watching the same thing over and over again out of comfort. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah, and um, aren't we all? We just we keep going to these remakes and sequels and giving them our money. But this is one of the good ones, I think, folks. Uh, the Evil Dead franchise, I don't think there's a bad thing in there. Um, I mean, I guess if you go to like the comic books and video games and novelizations, you could probably find some stinkers, but... Yeah. I did read the Army of Darkness comic for a while. Was it good? Army of Darkness comic was the first comic I ever like reviewed on a professional level. So that's always going to be important to me. Yeah, it's really good. At least it was back then when I was writing. Um, I've a played a now. couple of the video games. Uh, I know there's one for the PlayStation that I found inscrutable. It was kind of like a Diablo game slash Resident Evil. It was I like love Diablo. It was weird. Um, there was a lot of clicking on bad guys. Um, Isn't that just what a video game is? Clicking on bad guys? Well, you know what I'm talking about. Like, in Diablo, you don't fight them. You have your avatar on the screen, and you yeah. just click to tell them to move around and to kill the bad guys. Like, it's an RTS, okay. but you just have one guy. I see. Anyway, um, that was probably gibberish to most of our listeners, but uh, didn't like that one. But then there was another one that I really did like that had um, Ted Raimi. I fucking love Ted Raimi so much. He was the first one that I knew out of, like, all these people because of Xena. Mm. So, like, I grew up as a child being a Ted Raimi fan. Yeah, so Ted Raimi plays this little... It's like a possessed or zombified little person who is Ash's sidekick. What the fuck? <laughs> and he, like, go. I don't know if he, like, goes in his backpack or something. What? But you go around with him, and he, like, makes all these wisecracks as you're fighting. So you have, like, this, this funny dialogue Aww. between him and Ash as you're fighting. And that was a really fun one. That's cute. So, yeah, I don't know. I guess if I'm a fan of anything, I'm a fan of the Evil Dead franchise. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like it. And now <laughs> I've said so on the internet. So there. That's my opinion. Well, do you know, Heather, what we're going to be covering in our next episode? Do you? Yes, I do. Is it your turn to choose? Uh, it's neither of our turn to choose because we've done ten more episodes. Oh. So it'll be our second recap episode. We're going to be uh, ranking our second ten films in our next episode. <laughs> so tune in <laughs> to hear our recapped thoughts about the things you've already heard our thoughts about. So. You had such a good, strong intro to this episode, <laughs> so I'm glad you fell apart at some point. Um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh. All right, well, we'll see you then. Okay. Bye.